Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Live from the Sirius XM studios in New York City, this is Busted Open. Your only destination for daily pro wrestling talk in the entire world. From the independent scene to the main event of WrestleMania, no one covers pro wrestling like Busted Open. Eddie Guerrero was busted open. Hot topics, breaking news, and interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. A show designed for the fan, by the fan. Old school. The irritable force meeting the immovable object. Meets new school. Busted open. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Live now. Here are your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome to Busted Open, our very special enhancement talent edition of Busted Open. And my tag team partner today can only do it with this man because he's the only one knowledgeable to throw out the names throughout the decades of the greatest enhancement talent of all time. And we're going to unveil our top 10. It's the innovator of violence himself, the landlord of the house of hardcore, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy, how are you, man? I'm doing great. So excited for this episode. You know, it started with just a conversation between you and I. And then we were like, you know what? This could go for a podcast. And then you know what? We talked to Mother Marissa. Boom, it's happening. We put out a tweet on social media. It blew up. Wrestlers tweeting about it. Fans tweeting about it. And I just love it because the lost art of the enhancement talent, talent uh, backslash jobber, not a fan of that term, but uh, the fans really, really remember uh, all these people because of the amount of social media we got from it was amazing. Well, Tommy, let's first explain to, uh, especially our younger listeners, what enhancement talent is. And you mentioned jobbers, and that's probably the popular term to use, though I don't think it's a good one. Because when you think of jobber, you think of a guy who went out there to do a job, to go out there and lose. And they did more than just lose a match. Enhancement talent enhanced the match. You know what? They may have been the more popular or the, even the better skill-wise wrestler in the ring, but they lost to get their opponent over to make them look like gold, to make them look like a champion, and that was the job of enhancement talent. Exactly. It was their job to create stars, and they were there just to be a sacrificial lamb to make the guy that the companies are pushing uh, a bigger star because they could so easily defeat this person. What happens if they met the next person and the the job match or the squash match it stopped in during the Monday Night Wars because of basically when they're going head to head every minute every second mattered so that uh, type of match really really ended during that uh, era we've seen it uh, later maybe Colin Delaney was one of the most famous enhancement talents to uh, get a contract with WWE but it was kind of like when you were really bad. You, uh, you got on the job training 
You go back on the network, see Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing a Cactus Jack. They just were starting out. It was a foot in the door. And if you were good at your job, meaning being a wrestler, you would get rewarded. But a lot of times you'd have to leave in order to come back. Well, we asked the Busted Open Nation. You sent out a tweet at Busted Open Radio, at the Tommy Dreamer, at David LaGreca1 about, hey, give us a picture or name your favorite enhancement talent of all time. We got a huge reaction. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fans reached out to us. So you know what? We came up with our top 10. You and I are going to give our top 10. First, before I give my top 10, I have an honorable mention that's not on my list. I have Chick Donovan as an honorable mention. Tommy, do you have an honorable mention? My honorable mention was trained by my trainer, WWE Hall of Famer Johnny Rods from Brooklyn, New York. Jose Estrada, who nice. was out there, an excellent wrestler, good body, but Bruno San Martino would always put him over. But he lost a lot. That was his job. 10 to 1, but I'll give my bottom five and then your bottom five. At number 10, I have SD Jones. At number nine, Salvatore Belomo. At number eight, Jose Luis Rivera. At number seven, Mario Mancini. And at number six, Randy Barber. Wow, that's uh, one impressive list. I disagree with Salvatore Belomo because he got a push. I know his career didn't pan out the way I thought. He was supposed to be the, the next Bruno San Martino, but... They had that work out. It's a decent list. <laughs> All right. Uh, I also got to put over Mick Foley. He's, I love the fact that wrestlers were, were tweeting about it. Scott Armstrong put himself on there. Eric Young put himself on there. People put me on there. Uh, Mick Foley wrote Nasty Ned Brady unparalleled facial expressions and a sense that he believed he had a shot of victory every match. And the fact that we're still talking about it, the fact that so many people on social media, they actually all did their jobs well. Number 10, I can't believe he, he maybe he's going to be closer on your list, but Barry O is my number 10. Number nine, the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Darty, never won a match, but he was a Boston Garden favorite. Later went on to be an announcer. Uh, number eight, slap on my back, Barry Horowitz was so good. He got uh, a bit of a push. Number seven is S.D. Jones. Early analysis of S.D. Jones, he was just green. And uh, they pointed that out. And number six, one of the most famous, and though we've got a character change, Steve Lombardi, before he was the Brooklyn Brawler. But even though he won a battle royal at Madison Square Garden, even though he pinned Shawn Michaels at Madison Square Garden, uh, the Brooklyn brawler, Steve Lombardi, he was in, he was, that was his job. He put other people over. Yeah, he certainly did. He did it great. Though I don't know if you could put him on a list when he just said he beat Shawn Michaels at Madison Square Garden. Shame on you, Tommy. Nobody you know, as you're going through your list, you're, you're naming like the, the, the Duke of Dorchester. I mean, you're right. I mean, he was one of the greats of all time. Didn't make my list, but he was amazing at what he did. And S.D. Jones, you talk about superstars, even though they lost. S.D. Jones from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You knew that because you heard it each and every week. Here are my top five enhancement talents, Tommy. Here we go. At number five, and oh, by the way, he may be coming on the show today, George South at number five. At number four, known from the AWA, the American Wrestling Association, how about Jake the Milkman Milliman? At number three, the Mulkey Brothers. If I have to name one of the Mulkey Brothers, I would give it to Randy Mulkey. At number two, Mike Jackson. And at number one, the greatest enhancement talent of all time, 
Frankie Williams. Oh, my God. How you always say we share the same brain. We are truly wrestling brothers. Screw your real brother. I'm your, we have the top same five guys on the list, just a different number. My number five, Mike Jackson. My number four, George South. My number three, Jake the Milkman Milliman. My number two, and why they're number two, because there was two of them, the Mulkey brothers. <laughs> I wrote in parentheses, Randy. And my <laughs> number one, because he didn't care no matter what, he got in that ring, but he never won a match. He never, he barely ever had offense. The one and only from Columbus, Ohio, Frankie Williams is my top number one. Enhanced. It's amazing. So you seriously, like we did not talk about this. My top five is exactly the same as your top five. Different order. But when you're talking about the Mulkey brothers, and then we both name Randy Mulkey as our favorite enhancement talent of the Mulkey brothers, we share the same brain. That is scary, dude. I, like, I honestly, like, um, that is amazing. I, and, uh, listeners, please understand, we've had no, we've had more arguments about this than I think anything we've ever argued about. But the fact that our top five are all same names is insane. <laughs> Oh, we're such great marks. And, you know, enhancement talent, you know, it's a lost art in professional wrestling. It's unfortunate because they meant so much to us, the fans, and the wrestlers. I mean, George South, you know, Ric Flair said that one of the favorite people he loved to work with was George South, and he would handpick George South. You know, Mike Jackson, you know, probably had the match of his life against Ric Flair. And that, you're talking about the greatest of all time and the NWA champion, the nature boy, Ric Flair. We encourage all of our listeners, use the hashtag Busted Open. Name your favorite enhancement talent. And when we come back, Tommy, we have two, that's right, two amazing guests that we're going to have join us. One is Mike Jackson. And listen, it's unbelievable that Gabby, our producer, booked two enhancement talents, Tommy, that we both have in our top five. Max, Mike Jackson, who is still doing it, at a high level today, Mike Jackson, you know, we saw him at House of Hardcore in Philly. We saw Mike Jackson on Impact Wrestling on Tuesday night on Access. Tommy, Mike Jackson, definitely one of the greatest enhancement talents of all time. Man, I can't wait to speak to both guys. It's going to be one hell of a show. I want to know your top ten. Please list it or give us our top three. And also, besides Mike Jackson, on both our top five lists, George South probably known for his work with the Crockett's George South Tommy is going to join us here on busted open. Yeah, man. Again, you know, for, for people, Al Snow told, said it the best uh, insider talk. They would also call be called carpenters because they were helping build a territory. And, you know, uh, for some people's egos, they got it. When I first started out, you didn't want to go and do jobs because it was hard or get squashed like that because it's hard to lose that stigma. And as we have seen before, especially still today, it's hard to lose that perception uh, to, you know, Vince McMahon or, or to the masses. So uh, it, it's just guys did it and we're going to learn about it more because a lot of men fed their families for years and we're still talking about them today. And some are still wrestling today. And it's unfortunate. It is a lost art, you know, 
with the Monday Night Wars when WCW was going ahead to head with the WWF. You had no time for enhancement matches. Every match had to be a ratings grabber. And unfortunately, it's a lost art. But those enhancement talents of the 70s, 80s, and early 90s are still etched in our memory. And we're going to talk about some of those memories with Mike Jackson and George South when Tommy Dreamer and I are back right here on a very special edition, a special edition of the Enhancement Talent version. I sound like Enhancement Talent. I sound like a damn jobber right here on Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Top 10 Enhancement Talent of All Time Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Soccer is a passion that goes beyond the sport, and Sirius XM FC's podcast, More Than a Game, brings that passion to you. Can you believe it? In each episode, FC's panel of experts take a deep dive into club histories, iconic grounds, Anfield has erupted, bitter rivalries, and so much more. There's nothing like a Derby Day in Manchester. New episodes are available weekly by downloading the Pandora app and searching More Than a Game. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer are breaking down who they think has been the best enhancement talent in the pro wrestling business. This is Busted Open's Top 10 Enhancement Talent of All Time Special. Welcome back to Busted Open, Dave LaGreca, Tommy Dreamer. And so pleased, Tommy, to be joined by this next guest. It's amazing. You know, I saw him in action on Impact Wrestling just a few weeks ago. Saw him out in Philly at the... ECW arena and he may look as good and move as good as he did 35 years ago and that is the one and only and when I think of the state of Alabama I think of this man action Mike Jackson sir how are you this morning hey I'm doing fantastic and I'm I'm just tickled to death and flattered that you guys would have me as a guest well, there's uh, definitely something in the water in Alabama because my brief history with Mike, I, I met him at, a, at an indie show. I, of course, knew who he was. And when I saw him wrestle, I was blown away, and I straight up told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book you for House of Hardcore. And then I came up with, I'm going to get you booked in Impact Wrestling. And the fact that at 70 years old, he still wrestles. He wrestles better than guys uh, in their 20s. And he truly is an inspiration to every generation that age is just a number. Mike, uh, I can't say enough praise about you. This episode is about enhancement talent. And for a lot of uh, the listeners, that's kind of what you did to first get your foot in the door for professional wrestling, correct? Exactly. I, when I first started, like, like many other guys, I did a lot of independent shows with, with small groups around, just wanting to get my feet in there. Really didn't know a whole lot or didn't know a whole lot of people. But in, in the early days, uh, everything was a territory. Uh, Tommy, I'm sure you remember that. Uh, everything was built into territories. And the guy that ran Birmingham was NWA. His name was Nick Goulas. Do you remember that name? Absolutely. Nick Goulas ran Birmingham, and I finally got with him and wrestled for about, oh, a couple of years full-time every night, moved to Nashville, Tennessee with my tag team partner. We did it every night, and that was back in the days with Lynn Rossi and Tojo Yamamoto and Bearcat Brown. It was in the early 70s, probably 73, 74, somewhere around in that era. And then uh, 
Jerry Jarrett called me one day. This is how I got into the enhancement deal. Jerry Jarrett called me one day. I'd met him. He was a he was one of the bookers over in, in the uh, Tennessee Territory. He ran over the Memphis side, and uh, he and I got to be pretty good friends, and he brought me to Atlanta in 1974, 75, somewhere around in there, and uh, I worked uh, a couple of uh, TV shows, and uh, – you know, they asked me to come back after the first one I did. I said, well, I've got a couple of guys that, that wrestle with us all the time. Could you use some new faces? They said, yeah. So those two or three led into 37. So at one time I had 37 guys working for me. We were traveling all over the country. Wow. You yep. know, yep. You know, Mike, when, when I think of, of you as a wrestler and I look back at those classic matches that you had in, you know, 1983, 84, 85, you know, you know, right. with Georgia Championship Wrestling and, you know, on WTBS because even though you didn't win the matches, you were a superstar because each and every Saturday you were on TV. So, like, right. when you look back at your career at that time, you know, did, were you upset at the fact that you weren't booked a lot to win matches? Did that bother you at all? Or, hey, you knew that that was no. your job and you knew what you had to do each and every Saturday? Let me, let me throw something at you. There's a lot of one-liners in this professional wrestling business, and I, I imagine Rock has probably more than any of them. And, you know, he's got a hundred of them. Finally, I've come back to so-and-so and, you know, uh, something this and something that. But he said something that every young wrestler out there ought to remember. He said this, know your role. You remember him saying that, Tommy? You remember that one-liner? He said, know your role. And, and I knew when I went, I was only five – about 5'8", probably weighed about 100. Well, at that time, probably about 180, 190 pounds. I've lost a little bit of weight now. Getting older, you have to watch your, your cholesterol and things. But anyway, long story short, uh, when he said that, I knew what I was going to have to do. I mean, I could work every week with those guys, and then I could leave those places. Like you said, you know, it, 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 I wasn't a star, but it got my name out there, and I was working. I might do that on Saturday morning, go somewhere else on Saturday night, and be the Saturday night hero. But – I knew what I was going to have to do for those guys. I mean, I was in there with Dusty Rhodes and, and Ivan Koloff and Buzz Sawyer and, and you know, Ric Flair, some of those great names like that. They're Ole Anderson, that, those groups there. I was not going to be the main event at the Omni. So I accepted that. I knew my role, and I accepted it. Uh, I had a lot of guys that worked for me, patted up, said, no, nah, we're not going to get beat on TV because uh, everybody makes fun of me. And, you know, oh, I've got to live with this person, all that kind of stuff, you know. I knew my role. I accepted it. I took the I took the verbal abuse from it. But you know, I'm happy. I, I wouldn't change it. I did exactly. Of course, I would like to have been on top and like to have had a, a big push. I got a little push sometimes, but I'd love to have a big one. But I didn't get it, and I wasn't going to get it. And so either I accept it and and continue to do it and make good money and travel and and, and I did I did get a lot of house shows from Georgia Championship and WCW and, and different places. Or I could not do it and sit at home. So, you know, I, I took the, the former. Now, Mike, is it true that uh, the enhancement talent would get paid more for television than the, the push talent? Oh, well, in some places, yes. Now, some places, when I worked for, for uh, some different areas, uh, if, you, if you won a match on TV, you didn't get paid because you are going to work on the house shows. They figured you'd make it up there. And the TV guys did get paid. But – uh, we did pretty well. I, I worked. I was run at one time. I was booking guys for the WC. Uh, well, Georgia Championship turned into WCW. That was Georgia Championship. Dusty Rhodes was in Florida with Florida Championship. I heard y'all talking about Barry Horwitz. I worked with with Barry Horwitz in Florida. 
But I was doing Florida. Bill Watts was doing Louisiana. We were going to Shreveport every other Wednesday and doing it at the Irish McNeil Boys Center in Shreveport. Uh, I was doing it for uh, uh, Canada. Black Jack Lonza was booking me up in Canada. We were doing the guys to Canada. Carlos Colon, I worked with a couple of shows with those guys, and they brought me over to Puerto Rico. I brought guys. So I was working. I had a full-time teaching job. I have two master's degrees in, in, in education, and I quit teaching school to do what we were doing because I was working – you know, is three, four, five times a week, making real good money and going all over the country. So, yeah, I just didn't have time for school. But uh, we, we, we made really good money, real good money. You know, Mike, when I, when I look back at your career, especially in the mid-'80s, you know, you're such a big part of Georgia Championship Wrestling, as you said, then, you know, Mid-South, you know, in, in 1984 and 85, and then right. 86 and 87 with Jim Crockett Promotions. Was there a favorite promotion that you enjoyed wrestling in? I, I enjoyed them all because, like I said, I was just I was just there as an enhancement guy. I didn't have any pressure. One thing good about being an enhancement guy, and, and don't let me forget to, to tell you which one I did like the most, but to be an enhancement guy, there's no pressure. You know, I, if, even if I went to a house show, if they booked me on a house show, say, say Georgia Championship booked me on, on a – yeah, I did a couple of shows at the Omni at, at the Thanksgiving a Memorial Cup or whatever they called it in those days and things like that. I don't have to put seats in seats. I, I'm not, they're not looking for me to draw. I just went out there and set the temperature or the, or the atmosphere or tempo for the, for the rest of the show. I didn't have anything to worry about. So being an enhancement guy and getting other bookings was really a great job because, you know, you're not expected to draw money. And if you didn't draw money and you were expected to, guess what? You were gone. <laughs> they didn't use you anymore. But you know, uh, my favorite group, go ahead. No, you go. Well, my favorite group to work with, I mean, the favorite guy of all times that I worked with when I was back doing this thing back in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s uh, every week was Bill Watts. Uh, I, I worked with Ole Anderson, was great. Uh, you know, Ron, Ron Fuller was a great booker and a promoter, a, a boss man. And, and I really enjoyed working for a lot of guys, and I hate to leave out anybody, but Bill Watts was the most business-like man I believe I'd ever worked for in my life. I mean, he, 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 what you saw with him is what you got, and he told you exactly what he expected of you, and you better do it. You know, I mean, there was no – and the thing about I liked about him, he would pay me as an enhancement guy if I was at – he, he brought me to the Superdome. I wrestled the Superdome on a show. You know, he just he asked me if I wanted to come. I said, by all means. So I went to the Superdome. And he paid me exactly what he paid the guy I worked with being a full-time guy. He always treated us as, as well as he treated everybody else. And I really enjoyed working for him. All of the guys I really enjoyed. But with Bill Watts, I think, was probably my favorite. Um, you and I talked about uh, the power of and the great storyteller of Gordon Soley. I remember oh, yeah. always – he would call you the Alabama junior heavyweight champion. And then when you yeah. would lose and I'm a straight up Mark and I'm like, how is this guy still the champion? And then <laughs> Gordon would explain cause you weren't wrestling somebody in your weight class, which gave you more credibility. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Gordon Sully became a very good friend of mine. When I'd go over to Tampa and work for Dusty Rhodes and JJ Dillon and that group, when they were in Florida championship, uh, uh, Gordon would pick me up at the airport. And I don't know if he did that for anybody else, but he and I got to be really, really good friends. And, and uh, to me, he's one of the best commentators of all times, if not the best. I, I enjoyed listening to him more than anybody. But uh, he would pick me up, take me to the airport, take me back to the airport. He just, he and I just got to be real good friends over the years. And he really helped me out a lot on that TV. He said a lot of good things about me. 
You know, Tommy, you would appreciate this. When I, when I think of Mike Jackson, because Mike Jackson always had competitive matches. And, and Mike Jackson was in a lot of tag matches. And I remember as a kid watching you, Mr. Jackson, I would say, like, man, he just can't pick good tag team partners. Because you, <laughs> you, you would, like, have, like, you know, you would have, like, Randy Stroud or Rick Thor. Like, you would have these yeah. guys would be like, my God, this guy's always competitive in single matches. Then he would find the worst tag team partners to step yeah. against, you know, like, you know, the mass superstar and super destroyer or, like, you know, Buzz yeah. Road Warriors. Yeah, like it would be. I'd be like, oh, I'd be so frustrated by you. Well, th- that to me was respect, and, and you know, uh, not only because I booked a lot of those guys, it was this the fact that uh, the fact that that you know, either you can either you can work or you can't work. And I'm not bragging about being the best in the world because there's a lot better, and there's no doubt in my mind. But I could go out with a guy on TV, and I could have a good match. And I knew I knew my role, as I said earlier. I knew, you know, it wasn't to get me. You know, I wasn't going to be the main event at the Omni, so it wasn't to get me over. It was to make sure that that I did what I needed to do <clears throat> to make this guy look good. And they respected me so much that they would give me a good match. The first match I ever went to in Atlanta was 1974-75. And if you remember the name Ray Stevens, AWA Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, absolutely. Y'all remember Ray? Of course. I worked with him. Never seen, never saw him in my life. Never met him. I worked with him on the match, but he made me look like a million dollars. I don't know why, but it's just I think I think it's a, the fact that guys, if they know you can work, they want to have a good match. I mean, there's squash matches, and I went through very few of those, but I did have some. But you know, if if guys can work, Ric Flair is a prime example. I mean, and, and I've got a match on on somewhere on, on one of these uh, uh, YouTube's or something with me against Ric Flair. And it was a shit match of the week, lasted about 10 minutes. And usually the only mat- TV matches were three or four or five, somewhere around in there. But it was so good. I put him in the figure four. I suplexed him over the top row. I mean, I did stuff I didn't know I could do. But he would go in the dressing room, and he would lock up with guys. I mean, I, I remember this as vivid as if it was yesterday. But he would walk in that dressing room if he knew he was going to wrestle on TV. And he would maybe look at four or five guys, and he would lock up with them. And he picked a guy that could lock up to go out and work with on TV because he knew if he could lock up, he could work. And, uh, and a lot of times I worked with him on TV. I've had some, I had some really good matches with him and he always respected me and treated me good. And I think that's what, the, that's what most of the guys did. Ivan Koloff, I've had a million matches with Ivan Koloff, but never got squashed. I mean, it would be, I would be a Nats hair beating him. You know, uh, sometimes the promoters would even come to me and say, Hey, you're looking too good. Don't you need, <laughs> you need to let this guy down. I said, Hey, I just do what I'm told, you know? But that's pretty much the way it was. I think there was some respect there. And, Mike, the fact that, like I said, I mean, recently you just worked in Impact Wrestling on television. and uh, Yes. All, from, that, from your television from the 80s, you have still been wrestling nonstop this entire time to the point of you'd still be wrestling if it wasn't for this stupid uh, pandemic we're going through. But, exactly. Um, your name is still yep. out there big time, uh, which is great. Well, I hope so. I had four bookings last week that, you know, couldn't necessarily cancel because of this. I'm still as active as I can. You know, I, I try to work out every every day and do what I need to do to try to stay healthy, but I'm blessed. God's been good to me, and I'm 70 years old, never had any bad health issues, and I've been real blessed, and, and uh, so I'm going to continue to work as long as I possibly can. And, and, and it's good being on the team. The impact thing, Tommy, I, I don't know. I'm sure you don't know as much about it as, as I do, but I got uh, calls from people from all over the country that saw that. So that must have been 
viral or whatever you call it nowadays. <laughs> well, it was yep. all over TV, I'll tell you that. Well, whatever it was, whatever it was, I got a lot of calls. <laughs> to the point, I'll say this. My wife, who never watched professional wrestling until she met me, I show her you now because she was in Philly when we did the show for House of Hardcore, and she watches yeah. some of the wrestling that I watch from 82 and 83. She says you look better physically and quicker now in 2020 than 35, 36, 37 years ago. Well, tell her I appreciate it. Tell her to tell my wife that. I will. <laughs> give my wife a good plug on that. But, Mike, you know, go ahead. No, 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 please continue because I was just going to say goodbye. So please continue. You know, what I was going to do, what I was going to say is, is speed, is, I've got to do that. I'm not big, and I knew I wasn't going to be big. So, you know, you don't see me slamming guys and trying to suplex guys and stuff. I just try to use the speed and do the things that, that, uh, that, that was, that's my style. You know, that's why I'm, I try to do what I do. Well, the one and only Action Mike Jackson, sir, thank you so much for the time. Man, I appreciate that. Call me anytime. Thank you all a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we go from one legend to another. When we come back, Tommy, and every wrestling fan knows this name, it's the one and only George South. When we're back right here, I'm Busted Open. You're listening to Busted Open's Top 10 Enhancement Talent of All Time Special, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Your home for all things combat sports is Sirius XM Fight Nation. Start your day with Hall of Fame Pro Wrestling Talk on Busted Open. Respect these men and women that build the business. Then, the Barack Show keeps you up to date on all things boxing. Boxing is the theater of the unexpected. And MMA guru, Luke Thomas, has you covered for mixed martial arts. Joe Rogan is the most important influencer in all of MMA. The fight game broken down like nowhere else. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. This is Busted Open's Top 10 Enhancement Talent of All Time Special. Here's Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer. Welcome back to Busted Open, Dave LaGreca and Tommy Dreamer. And somebody that we've had on the show before, Tommy, and somebody who's definitely a legend. And when I think of Charlotte, North Carolina, I think of this man. And that is the one and only, the legendary George South. Sir, how are you today? Oh, I'm I'm doing so great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on here today. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, I'll say one thing. Before we get into your wrestling career, you're one hell of a trainer because a lot of the Man, people I, that we see in the ring now, you know, they talk about you as the one who trained them. So kudos to you, sir. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I really, really love doing it. I love training, you know, just giving back. Uh, you know, a little bit of what, what wrestling has given me. And, and we just try to do it the right way. I, I've been blessed and got some great kids out there. Thank you. Well, let's get into your career. Let's talk about oh. it because you did have one hell of a career spanning uh, the NWA and the WWF. And, you know, when you look at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, of course, in the 90s, is there one place that you prefer to work over any other? Well, you, you know, of course, the Mid-Atlantic, you know, here with, with Jim Crockett and, of course, that, you know, being a, a small child here uh, in my very early age, just being able to, to watch that on TV and, you know, telling everybody that one day, you know, I'm going to be on that TV and, and in that ring and, and to see all of that open up and uh, just to be able to work for, for Jim Crockett and, 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 of course, that whole promotion 
so that, uh, you know, I'll always be fond of that, but uh, I just love traveling. Uh, you know, of course, back then there were so many different places to go, and, and, and I just wanted to work for, you know, as many territories uh, as I could. And, and it's funny, there used to be a, a two-page pullout in one of the after magazines, and it would show the different states, you know, and all the promotions, and I can remember coloring coloring that in, you know, as I, as I started traveling and going into, you know, some of the places. And, but I think I was uh, just very fond of Jim Crockett promotions, getting to see and be in the dressing room, you know, with, with a lot of those legends that I watched on television. And uh, so I think I'll always have a, uh, a special place for Jim Crockett promotions, but, but I love working for all of them. Now, George, uh, can you explain to listeners kind of what it would be like a week in, in, in the heyday, the business is on fire? What would a week, your week be uh, for wrestling? Well, you know what, and it, and it sounds crazy, but it all starts with not being a jerk. And, and what I mean by that is, of course, even when I started, there was no cell phones. Uh, the, the, people heard about you from word of mouth. So really, if you... And that's what I teach my students. If you were a jerk in one territory, they sure didn't want you in the other one. So what was amazing is is for me to just be able to pick up a phone and, and call Jim Cornette with Smoky Mountain or, or speak with, you know, Grizzly Smith or, or Bill Watts in Louisiana and just say, I'd love to come out there and, and for them to, to say, yes, we'd love to have you. So that's something that, that I take a lot of pride in, and, and I don't even know if young guys even understand that. But, you know, I, didn't, I never had a booking agent. Uh, I just really tried uh, to do what I was told no matter where I was at. But uh, even Florida, when I went to Florida, you know, Dutch Mantel was there. And, and, and you know the part I miss, guys, is, and Tommy knows this, is even when I started in the business, I didn't know, like, how to do this. So I remember in the back of the magazines, they would be, you know, different promoters, phone numbers or an address to the company. And, and so I would just mail out eight by tens. I mean, I mailed them everywhere. And what's funny to this day, I never got a reply back. You know, I don't know what it, what it was, but no one ever called me back and said, okay, we got your pictures. The closest I got is when I showed up in Florida and, Dutch Mantel was booking, and, and when I walked in to shake his hand, he said, we got some pictures of you laying on the desk. <laughs> but, you know, I was too too afraid to say, well, did you open them? You know, <laughs> so just to really see how, and it's so funny that y'all, uh, it's amazing that you've had Mike Jackson uh, on a little bit earlier because I, I credit him. Uh, see, when I, I had no clue. I mean, I had started wrestling some little bit, you know, outlaw shows, as I call them, but I wanted to be on TV. And, and so my first taste is uh, I called Georgia Championship Wrestling, just right off the blue. I mean, and, and, and Buzz Sawyer, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer answered. And I didn't know. I said, I want to come down there and, and wrestle. And he said the exact words, if you come here, I'll kill you. <laughs> so, so I kind of hung up. You know, and, and I thought that may not be the way that I want to go. And so I met Mike Jackson. I had never been on TV. I'd never worked for a major company. And he said, I'd love to have you come down here. But, and this is the thing that, that, I, that I'll stand up for, and, and, and I would do it again all over, is there was a booking fee. 
And and a lot of guys, you know, there's been uh, heat for years. Or why, how could you do that? And and so I was going to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I mean, I'm talking in the very beginning of the Superstation, and I was getting paid forty dollars. So I'm living in Charlotte. I had an old Trans Am that ate up gas, and I said, but I was making forty. But I went for free. But I got paid forty bucks, and I was giving Mike Jackson a booking fee because there was. I, there was no other way for me to get there. I tried every avenue to get on TV. And, and so Mike Jackson got me started. And, and I knew all I wanted to do is just just get me in a ring. If you get me in a ring, I'll do the rest. And it just one thing led to another. I remember being in a dressing room in Techwood Drive, and, and, and some of the boys uh, heard that I was paying a booking fee. And they all started ribbing me real bad, telling me how stupid I was. But I just sit there and kept my mouth shut, and I thought, I don't care what I'd have, I'd have paid. I'd have paid Mike Jackson every bit of it because there was no other way to get on TV. And at that time, Mike, who I loved to death, he was he was sending guys to WWE. I mean, WWF. He's sending them to Bill Watts. So what? What an avenue for me. So so to answer that story, and I get long winded, is I was doing six different TV shows a week, uh, different companies. Uh, And it's funny, my kids are older now, but they used to hate to go to school because their friends would say, man, I saw your dad get beat like eight times this week. (laughs) (laughs) But what an amazing run to, to work for Bill Watts on a Monday, and then I'd be down in Florida Tuesday or Wednesday doing TVs down there. And I loved, I would not go back and change uh, any bit of that. So, so, uh, and, and and that led to working some of the house shows because I learned early on, if you just keep your mouth shut, things are going to open up for you. Cause there's always some guy that screwed up and got fired and they needed, they needed a guy. They always needed a guy. And, and Dusty used to call me his utility guy. <laughs> I do anything, you know, just, just give me a chance. So, so that's kind of, how our weeks were, um, and it was just an amazing thing. And it all started with you were welcome there. Uh, it wasn't a thing where, you know, I, I begged to come, but that's why I was able and blessed to work for so many different companies is I, I, I just wanted to work as hard as I could, and, and it didn't matter what they wanted me to do. Uh, you know, this past week somebody called me a, a glorified job guy. And I don't even know what that means, but but I'm offense to that because many many times, and I know Tommy will will, will back me up on this. Is a lot of times in that ring, uh, I remember Arn told me one time when he took me over to certain guys to 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 put them over. He would say, "This should be the other way around. You know, those guys should be putting you over." But I never, uh, none of that never bothered me. I mean, I've had. It's funny what the fans think is they ask me all the time, well, don't you feel like bitter? You know, you didn't really have like a WrestleMania career. And I'm thinking, you know, I fed my kids and my family for 40 years doing something that I love. You know, what do you mean I didn't have a good career? So that's kind of the outline of what, what a great week was like. And, and man, it just that feeling of looking in a magazine and seeing – you know, Rip Rogers and, and Rip Oliver, and then all of a sudden they're in a dressing room. 
sitting beside you and just just those special special times and and then just one thing led to another uh you know they just thought you know that's why i tell these kids now guys and i'll shut up you know in wrestling they ask me what's the magical what's the magical thing how come your students are doing so good and i just simply tell them to keep their mouth shut seriously nobody wants to hear what you can do or what you can't do or watch your video just be quiet and it'll all just unfold and so you talk about the booking fee we had ricky steamboat here and he said he had to give a percentage every week to his trainer Vern Gagne because that's how the business wow. was back then and wow. up until he got booked in Charlotte because they approached him and then he had heat between Vern a little bit because he wasn't paying Vern anymore but and they were just wow. like no I'm not giving you the money because you didn't book him through them the business was different and I remember yeah. Bam Bam Bigelow had to sue to get out of his managerial contract with Larry Sharp because Larry Sharp was taking uh, a piece of his money too. But that's how the business was back then. It's just different times. It it, it sure was. You know, Tom, my favorite story is Susan Green, who who I've loved and and still speak with her. You know, she she was just unbelievable in her day, and she fought Moolah a lot. and, And she always told me, she said that when she worked for Moolah, that Moolah, uh, of course, took a booking fee out of her bookings. And now Mula was getting her, you know, booked all over the country. But but Susan Green told me that part-time, she uh, started driving a record service. She said she was going to make some money on her own. So she got a part-time job driving a record. She said, but when she got her check the first week for driving the record, Mula took a booking fee out of it. <laughs> so Mula took a booking fee out of her record service check. So I always laughed uh, about that, but you know, I when I was taking guys, you know, when I first started going to WWF, uh, you know, they'd call me and say, "We need 15 guys." That's all they would say. They didn't care. We need 15 guys. So I would take 15 guys, but I would tell. Here's the thing: nobody talks about that booking fee. I never surprised anybody, Tommy. In other words, when I when I lined it up with the guys, I would tell them while they were at home. I'm going to take you to WWF television once in a lifetime. This is what you'll make, and th- but this is what you're going to pay me. And in exchange, I would get this nice uh, rental van. The boys would I'd do all the driving. Uh, they basically wouldn't pay for anything. And so what was so comical was I got heat. Once guys found out I was doing that, I, you know, I'd get heat. But, but here's the thing. Not one of those guys had to go if they did not want to. In other words, you could have hung up on me. You could have told me, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not talking, like, it was almost maybe like 25, 30 bucks from each guy. But I shared that the same time that I was charging them a booking fee. Guess what? I was paying Gene Anderson and Nelson Royal a booking fee to get me there. Right. So it's amazing how how that went full circle. Uh, but a lot of those guys I got up there, some of them even got jobs with WWF. And most of them would have never got in a WWF ring uh, if I had not have took them. They just had no idea how to contact. They they had no idea. And so that's amazing that, that, that... That's right. 
and and but I always laughed. I, it's funny because guys still bring that up. I mean, um, and you know what's funny is I took uh, uh, the Hardy Boys. If you can believe this, I took the Hardy Boys. I charged them a booking fee, and I took them to their first ever WWF TV. And you know what, Tommy? This man looked at them. They only weighed like a hundred pounds each. Vince says they're too small. So the first taping, they didn't even get to work. So we come back home, and I'm telling you, every two weeks I was taking 15 or 20 guys to WWF. So the second time, a week later, I needed two guys. So I said, I'm going to try it again. Surely they won't remember. So I took the Hardy Boys again, and that's the night that they got their match. I think one worked Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and the rest is history. Now them boys have worked their tails off, and they're and I, I love them to this day. But and they they would have probably made it. But their first meeting, uh, I took them up there, and it's amazing because my students now know that I charged them a booking fee. But when they see how good the Hardy Boys have done, they all tell me, "Could you could you please charge me a booking fee?" <laughs> you know, they all say, "Man, if that's the way to go, please charge me a booking fee." So. But that's how it, it worked. And, but that's the, that's the thing I'll stand on forever is I told everybody up front, it wasn't a thing where you got paid uh, and then at the last minute I said, oh, yeah, by the way, you owe me a booking fee. Um, that what they knew before they left the house. So if you got in that van with me, you knew the deal before we ever left home. So just amazing, amazing part. time. I wouldn't change any of it. The, the best part about uh, me meeting George South, I, I did a show and uh, he was running the show. And right before the show started, he said, uh, I'd like to start everybody in a, a prayer. And if you don't believe it, whatever you believe, uh, I don't care. You, you don't have to listen to it. Uh, everyone gathers around. And he just uh, prayed for everybody's safety for that night and for their to get home safe. Yeah. And that stood out to me because I've been wrestling a lot of years. And it was the first time that ever happened. And I was just like, wow. you know what? I really like this person because he wished the best upon everybody and their yeah. safety for the night. Let the fans have a good time. And that's what it's all about. Probably I appreciate that, buddy. You know what I tell people all the time? I, I speak in, you know, youth camps and, and college camps and stuff like that. And I just tell them simply, there's no other reason why George South is still wrestling except for God. In other words, I've never had a contract. Never. I've never been under a contract. But I have been able to do something I love and still learning how to do this thing called pro wrestling. But for me to still be active, very active, and, and to love it as much as I still love packing my bags, I still love uh, giving these young guys a chance, and, 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 and there's, that's the reason. I, I give all the credit to God. There's no other reason why I should still be doing this. Uh, I remember telling me one night when Dusty came up to me and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna give you full time job, first time ever. I'd worked here and there, some spot shows, but he walked up to me in the dressing room in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He had just came in here for Crockett, and he said, "You're gonna start full time for me in two weeks." And Tommy, I'm gonna tell you, that's probably the most exciting feeling that I've ever had. That it's finally paying off. Well, here's what happened. Less than two weeks later, the new breed from Florida come up here. 
and nobody says a word. But I said, well, wait a minute. Now, there's only one or two spots opening up, and, and one of them was supposed to be mine. And and what are these guys doing here? And they were great guys, Chris Champion and Sean Roll, and, and just left Florida. The next thing I knew, they took my spot. Now, here's the thing. It broke my heart. I'm going to be honest with you. I remember driving from Raleigh, North Carolina, TV, the Dorton Arena, when I saw them give uh, the, the Newbreed their first match. And I was literally in tears by myself driving home saying, Lord, what else I got to do? I mean, but to show you, I don't blame Dusty. I don't blame anybody. But that was how our business worked. It, you may be up on a mountaintop one day, but you're going to be down in the ditch the next. And I, I'm so glad that happened because it taught me more than if I'd have got a major push. And, 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 and I tell you, my bookings went down to one or two TVs a week, uh, but I, I kept my mouth shut. I did. I, I can tell you, I go into Dusty's office. You know what my greatest claim to fame is, Tommy? No matter if I worked seven days a week or one day, I would call Dusty Rhodes Monday morning at 8 a.m., and I would tell him thank you. And it got so comical to where he got tired of me calling. <laughs> he used to leave a message with the secretary, and she'd say, George, Dusty knows that you appreciate it, okay? So <laughs> Dusty wouldn't even take my calls. But now that the dream's no longer with us, I'm so thankful that I took every second I could to thank him for, for that spot. And then, of course, he sent me to Kansas City, and that's where I met Bob Geigel and got to work out there and and, and just – it's just amazing how it, it's all happened, and, and I'm just so glad that I'm still able to, you know, go out there and do it. And 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 you mo- you may not remember this, Tommy, but you know my old rain truck. I had a bunch of pictures of NWA Mid Atlantic Legends, and and you were there with me and Gastonia. And I said, Tommy, I said I love you. I said, but if you can name every one of these legends, uh, I'll love you even more. And I swear, boom, you named <laughs> you named every one of them, buddy. <laughs> And, and I, I just kind of walked off, you know, with my tail between my legs, buddy. <laughs> I love the business just as much as you, sir. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Yeah. And you're saying about thanking Dusty. Thank you uh, for everything you've done for this great profession. And thank you so much for the time today. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. I, I, man, I, y'all introduced me and I talked for two hours. I'm sorry about that. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. You got it. George South. This has been an amazing show. Thanks to everybody. Tommy, awesome job as always. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Busted Open. This has been Busted Open's Top 10 Enhancement Talent of All Time Special. Check Sirius XM On Demand for more Sirius XM Fight Nation content. And follow us on Twitter at Busted Open Radio. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com.